Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Now, for the last couple of weeks, we've been in a new series as we've launched this new year and new decade, a new series entitled Decisions That Determine Your Destiny. And we've been talking about the fact that as we start this new decade, of course, all of us are asking either overtly or invertly, we're asking the question, how do we get the most out of this next year, this next decade, however long we have on this earth, how do we do better? How do we make more of this time? How does God want to use and leverage his wisdom in our life better? And we've been using this principle as a filter through which to look at some of the most critical and important areas of our life. It's called the harvest principle. And the harvest principle, simply put, says that we reap what we sow. I reap what I sow, you reap what you sow. In other words, that there is a direct correlation to your past behavior and decisions and your current consequences and harvest that you're living with right now. Be it good or bad, that I'm living with the harvest of my past decisions and so are you. That there's a direct correlation. Sometimes you're living with the harvest that other people have decided in your life. Um, and I get that. But still, be that as it may, there's a direct correlation to, from our past to our present. Therefore, we can uh, ascertain from this, I mean, this is just a clear conclusion, that there is a direct correlation from our present and our future. That what we decide, what we do, and our behavior, and the thoughts that we think, and the words that we say, and the behaviors that we adopt today will directly influence our future. In other words, the best predictor of the future is to ask, what am I sowing now? What are you sowing now? It's one of the best questions you can ask right now going into a new year and a new decade. And we talked about the fact, even in week one, that you will not grow in the future what you do not sow right now, right? If you, whatever that future, hopefully you're hoping and praying for, for your kids, for your marriage, for your future, for your your career, whatever that is, that it's going to be a direct correlation to the seeds that you plant today. The question is, what are the seeds you're planting today? And so we've been taking this sort of a magnifying glass to some of the different, most important areas of our life to ask, what are we sowing in this area? And today, I want to take that magnifying glass and take a look at the habits of our life. What habits are we sowing in our life right now? And the reason why habits are so important, and I think you already get it, is because habits are inseparably linked to our identity as people. And let me explain what I mean by that. It's about five years ago, um, I was turning 45, and I was starting to have aches and pains in my back. I couldn't sleep good. Can anybody relate? Okay. Amen, right? Uh, Yes, like the body just doesn't function the same as we get older. It changes on us. And I remember just thinking, man, I don't feel good. I don't feel in shape. I don't feel strong anymore. I hurt a lot. So I decided I'm going to try to get back in the gym and get more regular because I had never, I mean, the problem is I'd never been regular in the gym ever. I'd been to a gym. I knew what they looked like, but that was about it, all right? And uh, so I decided I'm going to start going. So 
I just decided, okay, I'm going to try to go three times a week at least. I had heard that you're, that's the best way to get, uh, you know, uh, good results at least that many times. So I decided I'm going to start doing that. Now, I want to tell you up front, I did not have perfect attendance, okay? I blew it a lot, right? But I began to go, and here's what I discovered. Long about week six to eight, and that's different for different people, uh, research shows that you might be able to adopt a habit as quick as 21 days, but most people need quite a bit longer than that. For me, it happened right around week six to eight, somewhere right in there, that I went from being a guy that was just going to the gym to beginning to understand myself and see myself as a guy who does go to the gym. Like, I belong to this gym. Like, this is what I do. I, I work out now. This is what I, not that I'm incredibly fit yet at all or anything like that, but it's just the fact that I do this. And as I began to do this, a lot of my aches and pains did go away. I felt a lot better and I felt a lot stronger. And I noticed my endurance went up and like a lot of great benefits. But the, the, one of the coolest things that happened is through the habit, my identity began to shift. Really interesting. James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits, talks about this incredibly amazing phenomenon that happens with people. It's the way God designed us, really. He talks about the fact that every time that we implement a behavior or a habit, it's, it's as though we are making a vote towards the kind of person that we want to become. And he says, if we do this repeatedly over a longer period of time, that we will actually begin to embody the kind of person that will do the kinds of things that we want to adopt into our life anyway. And these little votes are powerful because they begin to accumulate. And at some point, these votes become the majority vote. And when they do, he says, that's when you'll notice your identity will begin to shift. You'll begin to see yourself differently in a different light than you had before, like maybe ever before. And what's interesting here is that for a lot of people, this idea of identity change is, eludes them. But I want you to see today that habit change is inseparably linked to identity change. They go hand in hand. They go together. And for most people, when we talk about your identity, most of us didn't come into our identity as people by intentionality. We came into it by default. We got it from our family of origin. We got it from our friendship circle. We got it from our kind of sociological influences of our life, the other people you hang out with. You, we all sort of just do what they do, don't we, without even realizing it. We, we aren't super intentional about it. And when we're not really intentional about it, it's easy to begin to adopt an identity that we're, we really got into thoughtlessly. We didn't really think it through. And so today I want to begin to get you to think about what you are adopting, what you have adopted, and what does God want to do in terms of help you to change that, the way you see yourself. You see, you don't need a unanimous vote to change. You just need a majority. In other words, you don't have to have perfect attendance. You don't have to have perfection. You just got to have tenacity. You got to have grit to say, I'm not giving up on this. And at some point, the majority is going to shift in your favor and the majority will rule. And it will change the way you see yourself, and it will eventually change the way other people see yourself. It's incredible how God begins to do this. And one a cool illustration that I came across recently um, was NBA uh, Hall of Fame great Larry Bird. 
right? And there's still debate about whether he's one of the greatest players of all time, right? But one of the reasons why people say this about him came out uh, a long time ago when he was shooting a commercial. This was years and years ago. The director of the commercial said, hey, Larry, here's what we'd like you to do. We want you to do your famous jump shot, which he's doing right here, jump shot. And we want you to do that, but we want you to do it. And we want you to do it exactly in your perfect form, but we want you to miss. He's like, okay, no problem. I should be able to do that. So, but what the director didn't realize is that it literally has taken Larry years and years and years to perfect this jump shot. Thousands upon thousands of shooting over and over and over, hours and hours and hours when nobody else is around, just him. He's just working on it, working on it, working on it. And it's like a mechanism in his mind. It is like he is a shooting, scoring machine, right? So he's like, okay, no problem. I'll do that. He shoots, makes it. Okay, I'm sorry. Let's try it again. Like, he shoots it. He makes it again. Okay, this time I got it. I got it. I got it. He shoots. He makes it again. He shoots nine shots in a row before he misses one while they're shooting this commercial. What had happened? Larry had made a habit, and his habit had made him into a scoring machine. His habit had made him. This is what had happened. His identity had shifted to a place where he's like, if I'm going to do my jump shot, I'm going to do everything in my power to put it in the hole, right? I'm going to put it in the hoop. That's what I'm going to do. This is the power of habit, ladies and gentlemen. We all make our habits, then our habits make us. You and I are what we repeatedly do. That's what we are. You see, you're not a coffee drinker because you drink coffee once a week, right? You're a coffee drinker because you drink coffee more days a week than you don't drink coffee. And if you're like me, you drink multiple cups of coffee every single day because you love coffee and coffee's amazing, right? <laughs> you, you feel me. Like, I get that. Like, feel the love. All right. Well, if somebody comes up to you and says, you are a friendly person, it's not because one day on this isolated case uh, situation, you were friendly one time, right? No, it's probably because repeatedly they've had personal experience with you where you've been helpful and kind and encouraging, and you've just been a friendly person. And they're telling you the identity that they see on you based on your habit. It's something that you practice. You do it over and over again. And what's beautiful about this is when we come to the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament, Jesus says this applies directly to your faith. It applies directly to how you follow me, Jesus Christ, as your Savior, he says. He says that it really comes down to practice, habitually putting these things into a system where you do them over and over and over again because it will shift your identity over to who you really are. Really interesting. He tells us this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. This is right at the end of one of his most famous sermons of all time where Jesus lays out for us Basically, in this sermon, if you've ever read the Sermon on the Mount, it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. These 
three chapters. You can read them in just a couple of minutes. And, and if you read through them, you'll go, wow, what did Jesus not teach on right here? All right? He, he, he preaches on everything you can imagine. And he gets to the end of the message, and it's almost like he knows his audience is saying, okay, so now what do we do with all of this? Like, what, what are we supposed to do? You've given us a lot to think about, a lot. You've challenged our, our behavior in almost every conceivable area we, we could imagine. What are we supposed to do with this? And Jesus answers that question with this parable. Here's what he says. He says, therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into, let's say it together, puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. They do it over and over. They put it into a habit where they repeat it daily, hourly, minutely, if you will. And he goes on to say this. He says, Then the rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. This immovable, unshakable, it's not going to be in style today and out of style tomorrow. It's not going to uh, trend uh, out at some point. This wisdom of God will always be a bedrock you can build your house on. The love and wisdom of God he's talking about that he's sharing it's going to be there. But then he compares, he juxtaposes this first person who put it into practice. The storms of life came, and here's what happened to somebody else in a completely different circumstance. Here's what he says. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does, let's say it together, does not put them into practice. So this person's not doing it, right? Not practicing it. It's like the foolish man who built his house on sand. He says, and here's what happens. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. It fell down. This is brilliant. Jesus is showing us two incredible principles. They're kind of buried into this, this parable. Let me talk about uh, the two real quick, and then I want to make a couple of comments about this that I think could be helpful to us. The cost of a bad habit is always in the future. The cost of a bad habit, what it's going to really, the detriment, the pain, the tremendous hurt that it's going to bring always is delayed into the future, right? It's far enough into the future, it's easy to forget about right now. And the thing about bad habits is almost all of them have an immediate reward. They have an immediate, instant gratification. This is why they're so easy to adopt, and they're so hard to give up, right? It's just the five more minutes of sleep. Just hit the snooze button about four times, right? And then you wake up, and what have you done to yourself? You are out of time. You are frantic, running. You're stressed out, anxiety. You're having a panic attack all morning. You're rushing to try to make up for the time that you've lost. But in the moment, it felt like, yeah, this is good. This is fine. It'll be fine. It'll be good. But there's pain waiting. Bad habits always do that. It's the dopamine hit that you get off that first bite of the cheeseburger, right? Or the hot donut right off the line. Oh my gosh, that's good. That's why it's so hard to break. That's why it's so easy to adopt. Almost all bad habits start off like that way. Immediate reward, long-term cost that is ugly and painful every time. Jesus is trying to show us that. And secondly, the cost of a good habit is in the present, 
Nearly all good habits are going to cost you something right now because they require discipline. They require grit. They require intentionality. They require you to work hard now. People don't like to work hard now. <laughs> and, but the beautiful thing is they have a reward waiting in the future, and the reward is so much greater than the cost of the bad habit. The, the cost of the bad habit is a great pain. The cost of a good habit is a great reward. And the present pain or cost of a good habit is minimal compared to the long-term pain of a bad habit. And you think about it, like even going back to our analogy of working out. You, you choose the pain, right? You're going to have pain. Even Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. You can sign up for it right now. And you can show up and say, I'm going to work hard right now. Or you can have chronic pain later that won't ever go away. And it's going to hurt and hurt and hurt and hurt. And it either hurts physically or emotionally, psychologically, relationally. You hurt people. You hurt because, well, it felt good in the moment right? And it hurt. Jesus is saying, watch out. There's a storm coming. Everybody, everybody, not if the storm, it's when. He says, when the storms, when the storms come. He shows us two people that outwardly look exactly the same. Both these guys go to the same church, right? They both heard, they both heard these words of mine, Jesus said. They both hear. They both probably took great notes in the sermon, right? They both left there going, man, that was so good, man. I cried all through it. It was amazing. And I hope Bob was listening because that was for Bob, right? That's the second guy. He's not applying it to him. He's applying it to, man, I hope, uh, what's her name over here? I hope she was listening because that was so convicting for her, I'm sure. You know, like that was totally for her. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. So the difference is outwardly, they... They have the same, they look exactly the same. They actually are going through the same circumstances, same storm, same frustration, same setback, same temptation in life, frustration with marriage, with their kids, with their career, going through the same stuff. But something internally is radically different because one person is applying what I'm saying. They're putting it into habits. They're practicing it and somebody else is not. They're blowing it off. They're delaying for the future. They're doing what's comfortable now, but... That's for other people, right? He's saying, he's showing us here that um, what's so powerful about this is that people, by and large, do not like intentionally pick to build their life on a faulty foundation, on this sand. They don't do it. As a matter of fact, he's showing us that most people don't really think about their habits or the purpose in life at all, real seriously, until it's too late, until destruction is coming to their life. That most people live their life in such a way that there is a future destruction and pain that is coming that they have not thought through, that they weren't intentional about. They weren't being necessarily stubborn to God. They were just being thoughtless about the way they lived. They weren't thinking about the correlation between what I'm sowing and what I'm going to reap, the, the, the pattern and the practices of my life now, and where it all is going to lead in the future. Jesus is trying to say, don't miss the correlation because it's connected. It's all connected. Don't think that somehow you're going to cheat the system or be able to sidestep the system. It's not. We've got to ask ourselves, where are the habits that you 
have adopted right now? Where are they leading? They're leading somewhere. And what habits need to change today, now? Not waiting another Sunday, not waiting another week. What needs to change today? And I want to give you some helpful hints, I think practical tips on how to change Because, see, it really comes down to successful habit change is about making good habits easy and about making bad habits difficult, hard, complicated, right? So let's talk first about how to begin a good habit. How do you begin to incorporate a good habit into your life? Let me share a couple of things with you. First, number one, make it obvious, Make it obvious. Can I tell you a little secret sauce that helped me to get consistent with going to the gym, all right? And I I still am not a perfect attender, okay? But one thing that really made all the difference for me, when I would come home from the gym, like right after you work out is the time that you're most like, the gym's awesome. I feel strong. That was great. I'm so glad I went, right? And when I come home, sweaty, all that, and, and I take my gym bag, pull all the clothes out that I wore that day, and put new workout clothes in, and I go put it right by the door in Leslie and I's bedroom. I put it right, like, I'm going to have to trip over this thing to get out of the room in the morning. I'm going to have to step over it. I make it so obvious. That's what I'm doing tomorrow. Because if I wait for the early morning 6.30 version of Will Lewis, who is slow and dumb and lazy and doesn't want to work out. I'm just being honest. That's who I am in the morning, right? There's a, there's a smart version of us and there's a dumb version of us. Don't let the dumb guy make the decisions for everybody else, right? So I'm just saying, make it obvious. I, for me, as a pastor, can I just be, be really honest? Like, I love this book, the Bible, But it is challenging to have time to sit down and read it sometimes. As a pastor, if I know if it is for me, it is for you, right? But here's one of the the tricks that I've learned. If I'll have it open and put it right by my favorite chair, if I have it open and put it right by my nightstand, so when I sit down, boom, I can pick up right where I left off. This is right where I want to be. And before I sit down and leave it, I put it over. Okay, so tomorrow I'm going to read chapter 8. I'm going to put it right there. I'm going to put my marker there, and I'm going to leave it right there. It's obvious. It's open. It's super easy. This is number two. Number two is make it easy, okay? Make it easy. And one of the, my, my favorite little tools that I have learned about habit change, like trying to uh, adopt a new habit, is to scale whatever your habit is down to the five-minute rule. And that basically what it means is try to make the habit down to about a five-minute habit, like Whatever it is you're trying to do, let's say you are trying to get a little exercise. Well, start by going for a five-minute walk. I bet everybody here can do a five-minute walk, right? And if you get in the habit of doing a five-minute walk, then maybe you want to run three of the minutes and walk two of the minutes, and then you run the whole five minutes, and then you add on. You see, it's much easier to tweak an existing habit that's already in your life than to create a brand new one. So if you can make it really easy to start a new habit that's not super complicated, not super like challenging, so challenging that it's just painful to think about, then it's easy to begin to adopt it over time. It's easy to get, get it incorporated into your regular schedule. Number three, make it satisfying. I love this. 
And I don't know about you, but one of the most satisfying things about adopting new habits is to see that you're winning, that you're succeeding. There are tons of habit tracker apps out there that are free, zero dollars. I downloaded one this week and I started using it. It was super helpful. And I mean, and it rewards you. It like sings to you like boom, 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 you know, like, yay, I did it. I, I'm doing better. Yes, I like to hear that. I don't know about you, but it makes me feel, I can look at the bar graphs, like, oh, I'm getting more consistent. That's wonderful. Like, it makes it more satisfying. It makes it more fun. And I want to encourage you, you're going to have some days when you flub up, you don't make it immediately. Just get back on that horse. Get right back at it. Don't let that time go by too much of it. And, and what's interesting, research shows that when you're trying to gain a new habit, if you miss several days, that's okay. If you get right back into it, you actually don't lose the habit that quickly. You actually can pick up right where you left off, but you just got to get back at it. Don't let too much time go by or you'll start to readopt the old habit of not doing whatever it was you were trying to do. So it's important. Make it obvious, easy, and make it satisfying. So quickly, let's talk about breaking a bad habit breaking a bad habit, really what we're going to do is invert these first three. Number one, we're going to make it invisible. Out of sight, out of mind is so powerful, guys. If you want to stop eating junk food and candy, stop buying it and putting it in the house, right? How bad do you want to be free? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Because if it's not around for you to see it, isn't it true? I, I don't even care or even desire or tempted to want to buy a new car till I see them, right? Then when I see the new model and I see the new SUV, the new 2020 version, then, oh my gosh, yeah, I want one of those, right? But if I would just say, okay, I'm going to stop looking, 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 it makes all the difference. It takes the temptation away. Number two, make it difficult, Put the alarm clock across the room so you physically have to get up and go turn it off, right? Go ahead the night before, if you're trying to eat healthier at work instead of eating all the fast food, prepare a healthier meal. Put it in, you know, some kind of a Sterilite container, whatever, put it in the fridge and have it all ready to go. Like, I've already put all this work in. I'm not going to go eat junk food now. Like, this is, I brought it all the way to work and like, it would be difficult for me to sidestep all the good decisions I've made to get me to this place. And it's important to kind of think about what are those things that you could do to make it more difficult to make the wrong decision. Number three is make it painful. Make it painful. And what I mean by that is using the sociological influence that God has already put around you in terms of people, friends. And this is another really interesting piece of research that came out about habit change. The idea is when you are trying to change a habit and you are only accountable to you, you are fine with letting you down, okay? Like you, you, you're okay with disappointing you. Like, I'm not going to get up today and go for that run. I'm not doing it. But if you're meeting your friend and like you told them you're going to meet them at 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. or whatever it was, now you're not just letting you down. You're being a jerk to your good friend. And that, research has shown, is far more motivating to make you get up and go do whatever it was you were going to do. It's true what Proverbs uh, 27, 17 says, that iron as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We need each other. And I know for a lot of people, and men in particular, I've talked to so many men that have struggled with and are trying to get free of what they expose their mind to on the internet, pornographic websites. 
I want to encourage you. There's so many great tools out there like covenanteyes.com. And what that does basically is it gets you to have an accountability buddy that is going to send your accountability buddy a list of all the websites that you went to yesterday. Woo! Now all of a sudden, it's painful. You're going to have to You're going to have to own up to what you're looking at. But man, it will change your mind. It will change your marriage. I have seen it revolutionize people's, I mean, whole life, their love life, their marriage. I mean, everything. It's crazy how when we begin to do it God's way, he will bless it in such an incredible way. But we need each other. And I want you to see here today, especially if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, what I'm talking about here is simply letting your habits match the identity that God has already given you in him. For a follower of Jesus, habit changes is simply recognizing identity change. That God's saying, you're already my child, my son, my daughter. You're already bought with the blood of Christ. You are already free but you're acting like a slave. You're already forgiven, but you're acting like somebody who has nothing but shame and and regret, and uh, you're running from me all the time. I want you to come to me and begin to live in a way that is consistent with who you actually are. The Apostle Paul, who, let's be clear, before he became a Christian, he was a Christian murderer, okay? Like, I don't know how you get any more offensive to God than that guy right there. And he became one of the most prolific church starters and New Testament authors that we have. He wrote most of the New Testament. God completely changed his life, changed his habits, changed his identity, and he shares a little glimpse into how God did it for him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Apostle Paul said it this way, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, let's say the highlighted words together, the new, the new creation has come, and the old has gone. Like it's, I'm not that guy anymore. He goes on to say, the new is here. It's incredible. When I let Jesus define for me my new identity and begin to match my my habits and my behaviors with this new identity in Christ, what he has found, and he talks about it in other places, the desire to even want to go back to those old habits and that old identity begin to diminish more and more and more. It's like he starves away that sinful desire, and his desire for God becomes greater and greater. The activity of God in his life became greater and greater, and what God did for Paul, he could do for you too. It's freedom. It's beautiful. And Paul later in his Philippian letter talks about the fact that God wants to do this in your life and he will continue to do this until Jesus' return to this earth. Philippians 1.6, he says, I am certain that God who began this good work in you will continue his work. Do you see that? Practice habitually over and over. He's going to keep on helping your identity to match your behavior, your behavior and choices to match who you really are. He says, we'll continue his work until, the final, until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. He wants to do this in your life. Where do you need to change behavior right now? I want you to ask yourself. If you've got the notes in front of you, you can write it on your notes. It takes courage. I know it's scary to do this. Not easy. Write it down. What is the habit that needs to change in my life right now? The one that needs to stop? the one that needs to start. Write it down. Maybe there's multiple. Start with one. 
Where do you need to start? The prayer of application I'm asking you to pray with me today is simply saying, Jesus, I'm asking your help to change my habit of, you fill in the blank, until it matches my identity in you. That's the goal. And for those of you who have never really come into that identity that is given by God through his son, Jesus Christ, there's this last part. I'm trusting you to give me a new identity today. And some of you have taken on that new identity, but you've forgotten about it. At least you haven't informed your behavior. (laughs) You haven't let your habits know that you have a new identity because your habits really reflect an old identity. And it's time to say, God, help me to begin to give up that and this and take on this and this. What are those things for you today? God can and will help you with them. God has provided sociological help and influence right here in this body of Christ, right here in this church. We're about to launch small groups in a couple of weeks. Small groups are an incredible incubator for people's lives to change. We see it all the time. Incredible. Don't miss that opportunity. But I just want to encourage you today, what does God want to do in your life? Would you be willing to say yes to him right now? And maybe it is to begin a relationship with him today. Maybe it is to take the next scary step of saying, I'm giving up this and I'm taking on this. What is that for you? Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.